The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. I say that every time, and I believe we're always right because it's the truth. So what's the buzz on the street today? Very, very serious topic. I'm going to quote a little bit from the book The Curse of Cash by Kenneth S. Rogoff, R-O-G-O-F-F. You might want to pick up a copy of this somewhere. Here's the quote. The world is drowning in cash, and it's making us poorer while fueling a corrupt underground economy on a global scale. And he says, I want to have a cash-less, cash-less society, not a cashless, one-word society. So if you haven't heard of him, he's the Thomas D. Cabot Professor of Public Policy at Harvard University and former Chief Economist of the International Monetary Fund. The book is very popular. Get a copy. So what are we talking about today? You all remember, you probably expected me to start with Show Show Me the Money, the famous quote from Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise's most famous quote ever, probably the best four words that ever came out of his mouth. Well, it's taking on a new meaning. Show me the new money. Why? India has demonetized its largest cash bills. They went bye-bye. You can't use them. You can't find them. They are switching to electronic money. Not all of their cash, but the largest ones. Other countries are following suit. Let's look at the sharing economy. You've heard of Uber. You've heard of heard of Airbnb. They don't accept cash. What about retailers? Well, a lot of brick and mortar. You remember where you walk into the door of a real store and coffee shops, and you know the famous ones. They require you to pay in advance by mobile phone. No cash. So the big word blockchain is rearing its head on our show today. Blockchain is distributed ledger technology. Will that be the engine that's rendering us cashless, whether it's with a dash or one word anytime soon? Big question on the table. And our topic today officially is blockchain and money's digital makeover, part one. You guessed it. We're going to do part two next week. I have a panel of experts with me. We're waiting for the third one. Kevin, my engineer, is going to let me know when she's on. But let me tell you who they are, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. First up, I'm pleased to welcome back in just about a minute, Professor Rajiv Srinivasan. He's the adjunct faculty in innovation at the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore. And I believe that's where he's calling us from today. We're also joined by Simon Bain, B-A-I-N. He's the CEO of a company called searchyourcloud.com. 
spelled just the way it sounds. And rounding out our panel, and we're waiting for her now, is Nadine Hoffman. She's a Global Solution Manager for Innovation at SAP. She is there. Okay, Nadine is on the line. Great. So we're going to start out our, our going around the table right now with Rajiv. He's going to let me call him out. Rajiv has been on so many of our shows over the past three, three years, four years, and we're thrilled to have him back. He is quoting... Prime Minister Narendra Modi, who spoke on November 27th, a couple of weeks after the surprise demonetization of 86% of India's currency. Modi is an Indian politician who's the 14th and current Prime Minister of India since May 2014. He's also a member of Parliament for Varanasi. Here is the quote. The corrupt are incorrigible and are still looking for unfair means to stock black money. Ooh, that's a serious quote. You're scaring me. Rajiv, welcome back to Game Changers Radio. How have you been? Thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be back, and I hope you're doing well, too. I am. Thank you very much. So I'm going to ask Kevin to make you just a drop louder, please, so I can hear you better. Rajiv, we'd love to know about this quote. Uh, where are you? Are you in Bangalore today? Where in India are you? And, and tell me about why this quote is so important to our topic about money's digital makeover. Yeah, I'm not in Bangalore. I'm in Trivandrum, which is another city a little bit further south from Bangalore. And the reason this quote was interesting to me is because it fits directly into what uh, uh, Mr. Rodoff, the professor you quoted from Harvard, was saying about corruption. And what uh, the Prime Minister of India said was, you know, in one fell swoop, I'm going to remove 86% of India's currency notes. The reason I'm going to do this, even though it's going to be a little inconvenient for a lot of people, is to reduce the opportunities for corruption. And, uh, and, and there are a lot of people in India who are many corrupt practices, for example, uh, bribes. You, know, you can't get anything done without bribing somebody or the other. There is under-invoicing. There is, uh, there is a, a lot of uh, uh, what, what we call black money that's hidden. And most of this was, uh, we, we will believe, happened in cash. Because cash is easy and nobody can trace it. Although a fair amount of it was also... Fair amount of it was also Spirit overseas and held in dollars or Swiss francs or something, and also converted to uh, to uh, real estate and gold and things like that. You know the things that people, you know, my, my friends always tell me: real estate and gold are the easiest way to woman talk. <laughs> but anyway, so there has been this enormous, enormous amount of uh, uh, black money in, in India, and. All of that had escaped the tax net. So we've had a, a history here of uh, only about, you know, some 5 to 10% of potential taxpayers actually paying tax, as opposed to, what, what 80 90% in the U.S., right? And mm-hmm. this has been a problem because it means, you know, uh, the rest of us, the, the, the people who are actually paying taxes, are bearing a huge load for all the... A deadbeat were hiding their income and their and their funds. In addition, um, I think the prime minister was also thinking this is a good way to goose the Indian economy into moving away from cash and into an electronic mechanism. So he attempted to do both those. And you know, it's interesting. Initially, everybody was really nervous about it because nobody had done anything on this scale. You know, demonetizing a currency um, in especially in peacetime. But of course, 
You've had examples like in Germany, they had massive hyperinflation, or in Zimbabwe, or in Venezuela, where where you know the currency was just collapsing, and you know like a trillion Zimbabwe dollars is equal to something like ten U.S. dollars. So that's a different matter. In India, the economy is actually doing quite well, growing at seven point six percent a year, and then all of a sudden, this sort of uh, uh, this dramatic thing happened, and people were really nervous. That uh, and and the idea really was sure that uh, the poor would also benefit from the growth rather than the corrupt and the rich siphoning away a lot of money. Thank you very much, Rajiv. Very interesting look. And, and I want to do a special thank you to you, Rajiv, because you brought us this topic a couple of months ago. You said to me, we have to cover demonetization, talk about blockchain, what's happening in the world. And so much has developed since you floated this idea to us. And Simon was on board and, and Nadine Hoffman has joined us. And, and I'm looking forward also to welcoming Jeremy Epstein. And we have, I think, Raymond Gross from SAP joining us next week on part two. So this is a very important topic, and I'm, I'm very intrigued when you said people were nervous about it, but eh, also intrigued with the percent of people who are actually paying taxes. We're, we're not going to get into that. I don't have any statistics for the U.S., but I'm happy you have some for India. So there we go. Rajiv, great oh. intro. I want to say great intro, and I know I want to welcome Simon Bain, the CEO of SearchYourCloud.com. Simon is waxing, uh, let's say, not philosophical. He's waxing literary for us today. He's got a wonderful quote from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Those of you who have read the book Le Petit Prince, I will translate. It's the little prince. Oh, come on. You've all seen the picture of the world with the stars and the moon. and The little prince, the little caricature is standing on top of the world looking out. Yes, uh Le Petit Prince, published in 1943, is a novella, the most famous work of French aristocrat, poet, writer, and pioneering aviator Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who lived a very short life, 1900 to 1944. This is one of the most translated books in the world, and it was voted the best book of the 20th century. Interestingly enough, at the start of World War II, Saint-Exupéry was exiled to North America. His health was failing, he had personal upheavals, and this is when he produced more than half of the writings he was most remembered for, including this wonderful story of loneliness, friendship, love, and loss in the form of a young prince fallen to earth. I'm already in love with the book again, Simon. Here's a quote Simon has selected from Le Petit Prince. Grown-ups never understand anything by themselves, and it is tiresome for children to be always and forever explaining things to them. Simon Bain, how have you been? I've been very good, thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me. You a big fan of Exupery, and how did you pick this quote? A bit. It struck me with this this topic is that we're talking about demonetization. We're we're talking about people not paying taxes, and at the end of the day, it's not those people that are going to be hurt by this. It's the unbanked. It's those those people who have to work in a cash economy because for whatever reason they won't use a bank, whether that's because their credit rating's not high enough for them to have a bank account, or whether it's because there's no bank near their village where they live in India or Africa. And it actually takes a child to look at that and say, well, yeah, you can call it naivety if you want, but the child's perspective will say, but what about that guy over there? He can't go in a cashless society. He doesn't have a computer. He doesn't have a smartphone. What are you going to do about him? Are you just going to let him drown? And it takes a child's perspective to, to look at that, I believe, and to tell us 
the obvious, and the obvious is most people in this world do not have computers. Therefore, they do not have internet connection, and therefore a cashless society for them is a pipe dream. Hmm. And, and tell me something. Um, in so many new burgeoning economies, Simon, I've heard, and tell me if I'm wrong, that cash doesn't have a place, that cell phones are ubiquitous, that they are ah, inexpensive. Yes, cell phones are ubiquitous, um, but the cell phone is not necessarily a smartphone. Um, okay, are- okay. I was under the impression that a lot of underserved, underbanked uh, people with very little access to money as we know it, the, the green stuff or whatever color the local currency is, can now do banking and have savings and be able to pay things through smartphones. So not so smart, huh? Not so smart, but they can. I mean, there's, there's a, a fabulous, a, something I was talking about many years ago at Mobile World Congress. Um, in Africa, there's a fantastic system in place for cell phones. So not smartphones, because a lot of Africans have multiple cell phones, not right. you know, just the, the good old-fashioned Nokia that we all used to have many years ago. I worked um, for them. <laughs> oh, there you go. And it's a, a system called M-Pesa where actually you pay for things using your SIM yes. card. And you can save using your SIM card, and you can transfer money using your SIM card. And the cash is based, and that is cashless, but it's based on your SIM card. It's got nothing to do with blockchain. It's got nothing to do with necessarily a cashless society, although it does come down to that. But it also enables people, the unbanked, to do something without us trying to overrule what they're doing. And that's the problem I have with, with what the subject, the general subject of what we're talking about today. We're talking about it from a middle-class, first-world perspective. We're talking about it from, a, from people who are connected to the Internet, from people who know, and I'm guessing everybody on the call and the vast majority of people listening have bank accounts. So we're dealing from it from a very privileged point of view. The majority of people in the world don't have that privilege. And so we, we shouldn't look at blockchain and all of those as the only way. It's not. There are other ways. And PESA proves that. Although in PESA itself is, is Vodafone, um, there are other methods used over in Africa. And they prove the fact that there are other ways of doing this. Now, coming on to the point on tax evasion, mm-hmm. if demonetization was purely about tax evasion, um, then... I, I, well, I just don't, I don't understand it, I don't get it, and I don't believe it. You don't cut out your big notes and then reintroduce big notes if the idea was to, evade, uh, to, to kill off the tax evasions because you'd also have to get rid of the gold that's been mentioned and the money transfers into dollars that have been mentioned. It's a way of trying to control people. And mm. as the little prince states, controlling people doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, the Little Prince book was written about the rise of Hitler and the SS. Um, the control of people always looks good when it's in a bud. Coming back to the Little Prince, you, you have the baobab tree. It looks fantastic when it's just growing small, and then it grows into this great big monolith of a plant and overalls everything around it. And that is my own belief of what, what demonetization is all about. It's about control. If you wanted to get the tax evaders, there are other better ways of doing it. But to try and control people in such a stark way, um, 
no, it, 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 a child's view will tell you that, that that will not work, does not work, and cannot work. Wow. I, I'm very happy to have this provocative point of view from you, Simon, and that will make it a, a very rich conversation. And I appreciate your candor. Thank you very much, and always good to have you on the show. And Thank now you. let's turn – my pleasure. And now let's add our third panelist. She's a newcomer to Game Changers. It's Nadine Hoffman. If you're looking for her online, it's H-O-F-F-M-A-N-N. As I mentioned in the opening, she is a global solution manager for innovation at SAP. And Nadine has sent us a very interesting quote from the 2006 movie All the King's Men which is an adaptation of the 1946 Pulitzer Prize winning novel All the King's Men by Robert Penn Warren and it's about the life of Willie Stark played by Sean Penn a fictional character who resembled Louisiana Governor Huey Long in office from 1928 to 32. He was elected a U.S. Senator and assassinated in 1935. The cast is amazing. If you haven't seen it, you might want to check it out. Jude Law, Kate Winslet, Anthony Hopkins, the late James Gandolfini, Mark Ruffalo, my favorite, Patricia Clarkson, and Jackie Earl Haley, and this has been adapted into the Best Picture winning film by director Robert Rawson in 1949 also. So here's the quote Nadine has selected. To find something, anything, a great truth or a lost pair of glasses, you must first believe there will be some advantage in finding it. Great quote. Nadine Hoffman, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to ask Kevin to lower your volume just to drop because it's a little bit loud. I know you're on a speakerphone. So, Nadine, love the quote. Tell us how it relates to our topic, money makeover. What do you think? Thanks, Bonnie. So, I I really like the two quotes we had up front because that fits perfectly into it. From my perspective, we need to believe in change and we need to believe that there's some advantage in it. Otherwise, we do not have to do, to do the next steps. So the topic of cashless society combines for me both. It's, it's the point in, in bringing and enable also the poor or not technology-enabled people to the technology. And the M-Pesa example was right, the one I was pointing out myself, because um, this is the way how the people are connected to the cashless society. They can take part in the financial environment, which wasn't able before. Which technology is behind that, is a different topic, and I still believe that, and that brings me to a promoter of the blockchain topic itself, is a blockchain purpose behind there, because that, that helps us in the securitization and the, in the ease of the whole transfer for money, for example, um, which makes life easier, not directly today, but definitely from my perspective in a long-term run. And to combine both views like enablement of everybody Having, having the possibility for consumer to control their own data, to control what they want to do, to take part in the economy, even if it's tricky for them because they are not coming from a, from a European country or a U.S. country directly, that, that's the key for me. And that's why I still think we should believe in the change and we should look for it. And we should try and find the best solution to serve both ways. My, my speakers up front have just stated 
Thank you very much, Nadine. Very interesting. Uh, very interesting. I like it when we get provocative points of view and a little bit of controversy, and we've already had that with our three panelists. I'm going to make this a little less controversial right now and go around the table and ask my three panelists, where are you calling from? I think Rajiv has already told us. I don't want the Google coordinates, Google map coordinates of the roof of your house or your office, please. A little too much up close and personal. We don't know who's watching or listening, and it's getting more dangerous by the minute here the United States. No comment. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, I'd like to know where you're calling from and what are you drinking right now? If it's interesting, if not, what would you rather have in your cup that makes you happy? Let's start with Rajiv. Rajiv, what you drinking today? Well, it's a little bit boring. It's uh, 8.30 to 9 o'clock at night here, so I finished my dinner and I'm just having a glass of water. But there is a little bit of a story behind it. We're going through a bit of a drought here in southern India, and this year the rain's supposed to be rather scanty once again. So I went and got a well dug in my yard. So I have a brand new well, and uh, so I got the water tested, and they said, you know, it's all right, but you need to put some chlorine in it. So I put some uh, uh, chemicals in it, and then pumped the thing up into my overhead tank. And, um, you know, I'm rather proud of it. It's my own local water right from my yard that I'm drinking, and it tastes rather good. Although, I think I put a little bit too much chlorine in it, so I can taste the chlorine, so I got to adjust that for the next uh, round. But, yeah, it's, it's, you know, my own local water that I'm drinking. Well, how nice. What does it taste like? Is it, is it room temperature? Is it cool coming from the ground? Do you refrigerate it, Rajiv? Just a little more information. Love to know that. Yeah, well, when it comes up, it, the, the well is about 30 feet deep. So it's a little bit cooler than uh, the temperature outside, which is uh, it, it's about 85 or so. So it's reasonably cool. And then it, you know, goes through the purification system and it comes down at maybe around, yeah, I don't know, 75 degrees or something like that. So it's quite pleasant to drink. And of course, if I put it in the fridge, it'll be even nicer. But, uh, it's a little bit, uh, uh, hard. You know, the water is a little bit hard. So there is, you know, it, it, it's not that great for washing clothes and so forth in. And I have to think about that as well to soften it. But I'm really happy to, to believe that, you know, if there is a big drought and the municipal water supply uh, fails a little bit, which is a possibility here because of uh, increasing demand and decreasing supply, then I, at least I believe I'll have enough water to drink down the road. Well, that's certainly, uh, yes, the, the old expression used to be when it comes to squirrel storing nuts for the winter, so you certainly are taking care of that. That's very, very interesting, and as far as uh, best local, investing in local, you certainly have. Thank you, Rajiv. Uh, very interesting story. I'd say in five years and about a 1,000 shows for Game Changers Radio and more than 4,000 guests, I think you're the first one who mentioned that you dug a well in your yard to have it as a source for local water. And I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. That's a great story. Thank you. You always, always surprise me, and you always make me smile, Rajiv. I'm delighted. Simon Bain, where are you today? And what's fueling your brain power today? What makes you happy in your cup today, Simon? Well, I'm, I'm down in the Central Coast in California, and I have to be honest, I can't top Rajiv, so I'm going to sip <laughs> my, my cup of coffee and take my hat off to him. <laughs> so what yeah. is it? What what kind of coffee makes you smile? You got anything interesting there today? I, it, I, I um, 
by Phil's Coffee, which is a, a mm-hmm. San Francisco or Oakland company, and grind it fresh, and then always have a fresh ground with fresh water to make a, a nice cup of coffee. Well, what if we got Rajiv to send over a bottle of water hey, for you? I was going to say, could... if he would like to send me a bottle of his water from the well, that would work really well. I think that would work great. And, and Rajiv, I have to tell you that in, in the United States, there's a big debate over which state, which city makes the best bagels. I'm in New York, and apparently our bagels are the best. You know what a bagel is, right, Rajiv? That that round donut-looking yeah, like thing yeah, that's that's bread. Yeah, and apparently yeah. the 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 quality of the bagel, the tastiness of the bagel, is based on the water. So rumor yeah. has it that people who go to Florida to retire and start a bagel store or a bagel business import water from New York, so their bagels taste oh, like what? Yeah, no kidding. And I'm wondering if right. maybe we could we right. could create some bagels with with Rajiv's India water. Simon, what do you think? Is it worth I, a, I, an I, investment? Well, be, being a bagel eater, or used to be a bagel eater, bagels are both made with water, but they're also boiled before baked, which means they're boiled in water. So they're going to take on the flavor of the water. So, yeah, the water has to be good. I can't believe that would be the case in Florida. Sorry, Floridans. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Rajiv, I think you need to send your well over and start selling it pre-bottled <laughs> in Safeways. <laughs> well, you guys... You guys had a serious drought there, didn't you, for the last few years in California? Yes, they did. Yeah, and and most of it is out of drought now. Some is still in drought, but we've had a serious amount of rainfall um, since Christmas. Okay. So, I mean, masses and masses. Well, we're hoping. Yeah, I think you might. You're welcome. We're hoping we'll we'll get a break. Yeah, because when I lived there for. Uh, for about 15 years, and half that time it was a drought, and the other half it was uh, floods. So it's kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, that, that, that's where we are. Uh, the water table in California. Okay, <laughs> you guys, we want to. I want to give uh, Nadine a chance to join this conversation. Yeah. Nadine, you're probably thinking. What did I get myself into when I agreed to? I thought we were talking blockchain, and now we're talking bagels and water. But we would like to say that's some of the charm. So, Nadine, where are you, and what are you drinking today? I, I like the discussion. I want to have some bottle of water as well, so <laughs> I'm with you. Um, I'm in Waldorf, Germany today, so um, already late afternoon, starting evening. Um, I'm still with my usual cup of tea, where everybody indicates it's a green um, cup who keeps the water or the tea hot. So whenever my cup of tea, green lighting, is already in the room, everybody knows the canadine will come soon. But actually, um, next to the tea or probably the water will make the tea even better, so I would like to try that one. Um, I'm looking forward to have my evening drink, which will definitely be a nice glass of whiskey, um, Abalu Abonat, um, which I really like to enjoy after a good work day. Thank you very much, Nadine. Interesting as well. Well, Rajiv may remember, Simon may, Nadine doesn't know me too well. They don't let me go near caffeine on radio show days. So all I'm allowed to have is water. And the best I can do is I'm here in Nassau County on the North Shore of Long Island. Rumor has it that we don't have as good tasting water as if I was about a mile away in the borough of Queens, which is part of New York City. And rumor has it that Queens has much better taste. 
tasting water. So I use a, a Brita filter in a big pitcher in my fridge so it's cool. But as Rajiv and Simon may remember, I have it in a beautiful clear mug and I pick the straw color to help boost the impact of the water. It's all psychological. So I have a pink straw today and that's in honor of the rain okay. begone here in New York and we finally have a beautiful sunny day. So I think the pink straw is helping that. We had daffodils blooming, Nadine, here about three weeks ago, and then we had so much cold weather that the daffodils are literally lying on the ground crying, saying, what did you do to me? So uh, my pink straw is in hopes the daffodils will recover and stand up straight. So everyone, we are having a very interesting discussion about a very serious topic, blockchain and money's digital makeover, part one. We're going to take a quick break and let my three panelists, Rajiv Srinivasan, Simon Bain, and Ms. Nadine Hoffman, take a quick pause that refreshes, and we'll come right back 90 seconds, so don't think about even moving anything, the dial, the mouse, however you're listening to us. And I'm just simply going to say to my engineer, Kevin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Indeed, here we are having a very interesting conversation and a good time, I might add, parenthetically, on the topic of blockchain and money's digital makeover, part one of two. Next week, we will continue with a different panel. And we're speaking today with Professor Rajiv Srinivasan, Simon Bain, and Nadine Hoffman. I already introduced them in the first half, so if you're tuning in just now, you're going to have to go listen to the On Demand podcast in a few hours and catch up. We've had a very, very lively go-around around the table. We're going to start the roundtable in earnest with a topic from Rajiv's list here. Let me see where I want to go. Okay, we're talking about blockchain. He says, a large number of transactions have moved to electronic means. E-wallet companies like Paytm have benefited. Uh, and con- But there are concerns about the security of the underlying banking databases. And Rajiv says, this is where the use of blockchain can have great value. So, Rajiv, why don't you kick this off for us, please? Yeah, uh, the, the point about blockchains, of course, is that uh, we can guarantee that all the transactions that are made will be captured and they are going to be maintained in a distributed manner so that uh, uh, no one central point of failure exists. And that's wonderful. You know, the fact that you can replicate your database and therefore the transactions are being held in a peer-to-peer network that's widely distributed, which means nobody can proof the transactions or, or question them, and because of the hash trains and the, the, the hashtags and the Merkle trees and so forth, the software part of it is really uh, excellent. You know, we, we can guarantee that. Now, that is a very good thing. Now, I do have some concerns about blockchain in the sense of um, security and of privacy, okay, because we will be putting a great deal of information. Let me point out that it's not just financial information. So far, we've been talking about uh, blockchains uh, being used for demonetized currency and, you know, money in general. And Simon brought up the point about uh, M-Pesa and other such mechanisms that exist. But let me point out that blockchains have value not only in financial transactions, but also in all kinds of other things. Like, for example, in maintaining... Land records. Now, incidentally, in India, this is a big scam. You know, you can walk into a land registry office and, you know, slip somebody some money and all of a sudden, uh, somebody else's land is yours, right? I mean, this, mm-hmm. this actually happens. It's very difficult to, you know, uh, undo that kind of mischief. And this, this is one of the main sources of uh, unaccounted for money and bribery where, you know, people discover that their land has been uh, transferred to somebody else in a very uh, surreptitious manner. So if you can maintain land records on blockchain, that would be great. Another concern that we have in India, being a big state, a big country with lots of people, is medical records. You know, today, uh, interestingly, the hospitals believe that you know, your medical information belongs to them just because you had your test there. And they won't give it to you if you want to go to a different hospital, right? So if we can have, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of a portable medical record system on blockchain, that would be wonderful. So there are... Many, many applications for blockchains that we see here in the Indian Central Bank has shown a great deal of interest, right? But I, but I think there is uh, one other aspect of this that I'd like to cover. I, I would like to say that blockchain is not the only mechanism, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The Indian government, before it went on this demonetization spree, had already started a program. It's called JAM, and it's an acronym, and I won't go into the details of that. But there are couple of pieces to it. One is a biometric-based authentication mechanism, okay? That means 
about, uh, you know, we have about a billion point two Indian, Indian citizens or Indian residents. It's not even for citizens. Anybody who's in India, living in India, citizen or not, is required to collect this Aadhaar card. It's called Aadhaar, A-A-D-H-A-R, which is a biometric-based identification system. Okay? So that's one of the pillars of uh, the system that the Indian government put in. The second is they have um, encouraged a huge number of people who were previously unbanked to open accounts through, you know, marketing the idea, through encouraging them, you know, field workers going out and asking them to do that. So in the last two years, something like, and the numbers are humongous, something like, you know, 700,000 uh, um, sorry, 700 million new bank accounts mm. have been started. And the third leg is uh, mobile. See, as Simon was saying, you know, mobile is very interesting. Smartphones are not that interesting because not that many people have smartphones. Now, they've invented a system in India. It's called India Stack. What that does is it enables you to identify yourself just by your phone number. Okay? You have to register your phone number and that number will be translated into your bank account. And therefore, if you want to send me money, all I have to do is to give you my phone number, and from even a very basic phone, obviously, send numbers. So you can say, you know, to this number, send 10,000 10, 10, rupees or 100 rupees or whatever it is. So even very basic phones are able to participate, or people using very basic phones are able to participate in this. Secondly, there is another interface where you don't have to even remember the numbers, you can have a, uh, a, a, a you know a, a, an ID which looks like an email ID. For example, my ID could be Rajiv at UPI. UPI is mm-hmm. standing for Universal Payment Interface, and that single address is also enough. If you have a smartphone, you can send me money, saying you know send this to Rajiv at UPI, or you can say Rajiv at UPI, please send me money for XYZ. So the government has done a number of things like this to ease the process for even people with, you know, people who may not even be literate, but almost everybody is numerate. They, they can read numbers, right? So mm-hmm. these are some of the mechanisms that were put into place so that even for a very small, uh, you know, expenditure, like for example, if I go to the local market, a bazaar, and I buy, if I want to buy, um, let's say, tomatoes, right? It may be uh, a kilo of tomatoes for, let's say, you know, 70 rupees, which is like a dollar. That small amount I can transfer using this cell phone mechanism, smartphone or dumb phone mechanism, and there is no transaction cost. Unlike if you do it, for example, with a credit card, there's a 1% transaction fee or something. The government has put in some mechanisms to make this transition to e-money easier, but, you know, habits are uh, difficult to break. So I think it'll be some time before, you know, everybody becomes comfortable with it. And I also have concerns related to the security of the system because, you know, in some sense, the people who designed it assumed some kind of a benign environment, but we know that the environment is not benign. (laughs) And if somebody is able to break into these systems, It'll be like breaking into the domain name service system in service in uh, uh, in, in, in uh, computing uh, uh, you know uh, communications. If you can break into this UPI Universal Payment Interface System, you might be able to get uh, information about a lot of people's accounts, and that's a real danger. So, the, so there are some concerns about that. 
And the other thing that, you know, Simon also mentioned is privacy. Yes, that is a problem. You know, the government now actually knows a great deal about you and government can do good with that or it could do bad with that. And, you know, that is a question mm-hmm. mark and a privacy advocate. Because with your, with your you know, biometrics, you know, what they capture is not only your fingerprint, but also your iris print. Okay, they know you. Yes. The other day I wanted to get a new SIM for my phone, right? And uh, if I did the, did the normal way, it would take about a week for them to verify everything. But I just went and gave my, you know, this, this ID and just scanned my finger. In five minutes, that form had all my information, including my photograph and uh, my address and everything. And um, I got the SIM activated within 15 minutes. So it's convenient. But I'm a little nervous about the privacy aspect. Thank you very much, Rajiv. Very interesting information. So much to talk about. Simon Bain, let's have you respond for about two minutes, and then we'll get Nadine Hoffman in on this, and then we'll go and pick a topic from Simon. Go ahead, Simon. Okay. Well, let me first come down. I'm not against blockchain. Um, My company uses blockchain in our security side. My main concern over blockchain is actually something that Rajiv has just mentioned is that people are looking at it as the only mechanism. And the problem with that is that in the tech, tech world, we have, an, as, as governments do, we have a nasty habit of jumping on the latest bandwagon and not actually looking at what the real problem is. And blockchain is the latest bandwagon. And instead of looking at, really looking at what the issue is, we're just saying we're doing blockchain. It's going to make everything secure, blah, blah, blah. It's not. It's a great mechanism for helping the transaction and security of the transaction and the way that ledgers are, are created. What it won't do is actually secure up the end database because I'll guarantee you now that the end database is, will be connected. And so the person who is going in there to do a cleanse of the database will able to go and get all the information out. What we need to remember is that most security attacks do not happen on the cloud. They do not happen on the Internet. They're not external. They're internal. They happen inside the bank or inside wherever it is the attack is taking place. And that means that if you place all the security outside and place all the transport mechanisms and all that security outside it and forget to actually do proper security on the underlying data, then whatever we do is irrelevant. And that's my main concern about blockchain. I was really pleased to hear Rajiv talk about the other other items in place. There are obviously huge security threats and huge privacy threats with things like Impesa and um, the the item that he mentioned. I don't know the Indian one, um, but, but at the end of the day, at least they're bringing people into play. What we as an industry need to now do is take a look at the security of those and properly look at it and say, right, how can we make this more secure? Now we know we can. Because when it's in our interest, we do. So WhatsApp, secure end-to-end. No way can anyone break into that. Brilliant. So we know it can be done. What is stopping us doing it as an industry when it's in other people's best interests? That, I think, is something we have to look at. And stop jumping on the bandwagon and stop saying we're doing this as if to say, yeah, it's okay, everybody. It's all going to be secure because, because we're doing something. I believe Yahoo said that, and they still had a few million records lost. This isn't something that we can play with. This isn't an area that we're allowed to play with people's lives and their money. This is an area that 
is very, very important to people. If their money gets stolen, who's going to pay for it? Every month, people in the US, the UK, Germany, get new debit and credit cards. And the reason they get them is because somebody has managed to get onto the databases at the bank and stolen a, a few dollars or a few, a few cents out of it. And it's just enough to alert the bank that there's been a fraud, and so they send you a new card. That costs the banks millions and millions each year, and it costs us as users hundreds of dollars each year. So we need to look at proper ways of securing, not just jumping on the bandwagon. And yes, blockchain is most definitely one of those ways, but it is not the only way. We have to look at other ways as well. Thank you. Very interesting POV, Simon. Uh, I sense a little bit of passion in your voice, and I sense that you're also talking through the voice of Le Petit Prince. Grown-ups never understand anything by themselves. Children yeah. always need to be explaining it to them. And that sounds like that. that's your mantra for the show today. Nadine Hoffman, we'd love to get your thoughts on this. A little provocative here. So what side of the blockchain fence are you on, Ms. Hoffman? I, I fully agree with both what Rajiv and, and Simon actually said because there are two sides of the coin always to it, right? What I love currently is that the technology and the concept discussion ongoing in our community and in the industries and um, Rajiv already pointed out some examples where blockchain could help and in, in ease the processes. I, I like the discussion upcoming. I like our discussion, right? So it at least helps that everybody is rethinking current processes, that we are again heavily discussing yeah. to optimize processes, how we can get people who are not so included in our environment, get them on board, enable them to do payment transactions, to close contracts in the easiest way which is possible. But on the other side, I fully agree with Simon that the security aspect is still there and that we shouldn't just say, okay, blockchain will heal the world. No, it won't, won't do that, right? It's one option, as just stated. So I can only go with that one. And last but not least, for, for me, it's always to find the right cases, how we can prove it, how we can look into that. And coming back to what Rajiv said with the P2P payments, this is pretty important, and yes, even if we put blockchain underneath, it could help to optimize it, to make it even easier, uh, less cost-efficient. But then again, as Simon said, there is this theft, yeah, theft topic above it, right? On the other hand, I could state there have been thefts and money being taken away even from the central banks on a cash base or even on, on the credit card it was just mentioned. So I think there will always be a risk Always. We never be fully secured. Can we check it out and can we see that it's more secured and that we are, do not follow just chain washing as a statement, like it will put a label on everything? Yes, we should do and we should be decent. And I would like to say, as a critical German, I fully agree. Take a step back, look at it, what is possible, and do not find just use cases where you say, okay, blockchain, take this use case with blockchain. No. Find your criteria and do a proper analyze and then do the next step up front. Thank you very much, Nadine. In the interest of time, I'm going to circle around to Simon Bain. And Simon, I'm looking at your notes here. We have uh, covered a lot of what you sent me, but here's something interesting I don't think we touched yet. Let's get your comments on this and then go around the table quickly. You see, IBM has put a lot of effort into blockchain and announced a new blockchain app they want to put in banks and fintech. Any thoughts about that? We're not going to do any bashing, trashing, or smashing here, but any thoughts on that application? Simon, observations, please? I, I come back to my point. I, I think blockchain has a... a 
a place to play. Now, I have a big concern with it going into a small private. I say small, obviously, we're, we're talking about millions of records. But blockchain itself with, with the cryptocurrencies worked really well because we had hundreds and hundreds of millions of blocks and chains in, in play, which meant it's very, very difficult. When you've only got a small amount, it, it's actually less secure. And so when you're talking about a, a bank, if it's a small bank or small transactions or only in one area, the blocks and the chains aren't spread enough. They're not diverse enough to actually keep it secure. And that's where I have a quite a, quite a large problem. Um, it comes back, and Nadine, you're right. We're not going to get rid of theft. And you know, hacking is theft at the end of the day. They're stealing our money. My problem here is that we're looking at blockchain as we're not, you, I, or Ajeev are not looking at blockchain as the panacea, but others are using the term, saying that we're doing this, it's the panacea it's going to, and it's stopping other items coming on. And blockchain, in a private environment, in that non-open environment, in some instances, the, the blocks and chains are going to be so small that actually it's not secure. Um, you need a, a vast distributed network to make it properly secure. Thank you. Nadine, let's get your thoughts on that, about the number, the amount of the blocks in the chains. And sounds like to block and tackle to me. Uh, I'm, I'm learning from all three of you, actually learning today. So, Nadine, what are your thoughts about this, about working in the big banking systems and not so much for smaller organizations or institutions? What do you think? I would go the same direction, although I would say, especially if you look at, at, at cash or money, highly regulated it, it won't be a possibility to really set the system up like we have it with the cryptocurrencies today um, because their theft even is more possible. I yep. would say that there are chances in it, um, like you can see with vendors already offering services, especially in the cross-border arena, where it's more secure because you have a sort of halfly opened um, network working together, optimizing existing processes not available for everybody. Yes, that's true. But it's the first step in the right direction from my perspective. And um, everybody has to find his place and has to play around and really see what is secure and where are the limitations to this new technology. And as I said it before, fully agreed. Um, DLT is not the only thing, so keep your eyes open and look left and right at the same time. I wouldn't see that within the next few years we have similar open, publicly open networks based on blockchain. I think there will be more consortiums upcoming, as you can especially see in the banking arena. Thank you very much. You know what I'm going to do, uh, everybody? I want to cover two very interesting terms in a list I got from Nadine, and we're going to put off going to our crystal ball predictions round. So we're going to keep the predictions to about 30 seconds. But Nadine, you mentioned something here in your notes about chain washing and cloud washing. Can you enlighten us, please, on those two terms? They looked interesting to me. Go ahead, Nadine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more putting, I found that phrase and I found it really interesting because it's, it's like putting a label on everything, right? It's like um, blockchain is not the heel, and we pointed that already out in, in each of our statements. It's not the heel of the world. It's not covering everybody. And if you talk on events, if you talk to other people in the community, you quite often get the feeling, hey, I have an old solution. I just put blockchain on top of it, and I can sell it better, and it will spread off, and it, it perfectly fits. And I just twist and tweak the arguments and the criteria we put in place to say this is a DLT, a distributed ledger technology solution. 
and 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 this shouldn't be the fact, right? We should really see what is there and then have a proper communication on it, and not just. And that's where the the term comes from, um, just chain washing it and and putting this label above everything. So it's it's what Simon actually already explained as well, right? Okay, thank you very much. You know what? Uh, let's circle around the table to Rajiv. Professor, sir, it's time for Crystal Ball. We actually have enough time for 60 seconds for each of you. Peer into the Crystal Ball. I'm keen on 2020 right now. It's only three New Year's Eves away, less than that. <laughs> so tell me, what do you see if we met again? I, I, I have a feeling you're all going to come back way sooner than 2020. Uh, what would be different about this conversation in terms of blockchain and the ability to to control people and the applicability to smaller versus larger institutions and getting rid of fraud and the demonetization and disappearing large cash denominations. So, Simon Bain, you're up. Go ahead, Simon. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go back in time, first of all. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think about 1970, Barclays came out with a Visa card, and it was the new cashless society. Um, we're, what, 40-odd years on, and we're still using cash. I'm going to suggest by 2020 that nothing's really going to have changed. Um, what I will hope would have changed on the security aspect is people actually start to take security seriously, as opposed to what they're doing now, which is jumping on bandwagons. And, Nadine, I understand, and I hear that you do take it seriously. I hope that the rest of the industry does, because bandwagon jumping is not helping our customers. It's not helping those people who rely on us to look after their money. And it certainly isn't helping the unbanked of this world. So my prediction is that nothing would change, I'm afraid. But my hope is that we actually start looking at security and take it seriously, not just security, but privacy of people. Thank you. I like the pri- I like the way you say privacy. We say privacy, and it doesn't yeah. have the same ring. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I think Rajiv had dropped. Rajiv, are you back? We got him yet? Okay, Nadine, we're going to go to you because we're fighting the clock right now. So, Nadine Hoffman, what are your predictions? So, looking at 2020, which would be not really into the future or even a bit beyond, I would disagree with what Simon said because I really think that things will change and ease life. I, I see more unbanked people being part of the whole environment. I see that we both get our, okay, you not Bonnie, but myself getting the coffee early in the morning just by a fingertip being identified. <laughs> but I also agree that securitization and taking care of my own data will be more in the mind of the people again. So that will be back in the center as well as this would be also back in the center of the financial service providers. And I think putting that together, there will be definitely an increase or a decrease in cash, and by that an increase in the cashless society, which wouldn't harm us but help us in the whole processing. Thank you very much. Uh, I have to take a look at my notes, which I don't have in front of me in terms of what we're going to be covering on part two. But, Simon, let me just ask you, because Rajiv did drop. Rajiv, we're sending you our hugs. Sorry the phone line cut out. You had so much to contribute. I think we already heard a lot from you about what you would say in the predictions round. Uh, Simon, what would you like our panel next week to cover that we didn't cover? Just give me an idea so I can convey that to them on part two of the digital makeover of money. Simon? I think we... The, the coverage should go on to how and now, how, how is this digital makeover happening? What are the implications for people? Um, but what are the security effects also for the banks and the financial institutions? Um, how, are they, how are they being covered? Uh, it's all very well for 
asking the industry to say, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. But how, I mean, I ignore the banks, the pain, but they do, do suffer pain as well. So how are they, they being looked after in this whole process? And are they being looked after? And more, most importantly is, how are we actually going to do this? If okay. Nadine's right, and I, I do hope she is, but how are we actually going to do this? Okay, and Nadine, I'm going to give you 30 seconds very quickly. What would you like to hear our panel talk about in part two real fast? Um, I think how to build that, how to take care about the challenges we just pointed out, and how they will secure that we really look on the right use cases and not chain washing, right? Yeah. Thank you very much. It has been a, a pleasure and a privilege speaking with the three of you. Rajiv, we're sending you a long-distance hug in India. Professor Rajiv Srinivasan, great information you provided. Sorry, the phone line dropped. What can I say? Simon Bain, always a pleasure. You are so provocative and compelling. Love the ideas. Don't everybody get on that blockchain bandwagon, says Simon. Nadine Hoffman, it's been wonderful getting to know you, and thank you so much for your contributions to the conversation. I hope you'll come back, Nadine. Uh, really enjoyed having you on the show. Great ideas and great insights. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham and I'll be back tomorrow with two shows. I think we have the future of who do we have tomorrow? The future of manufacturing and then we have the future of utilities with Game Changers Business Channel 10 a.m. Eastern for one and 2 p.m. Eastern for the other. So we've talked about digital money makeover. You got to tune in next Wednesday here on Coffee Break with Game Changers for part two. Yes you do. Thank you to Kevin at World Talk Radio and here's my call to Action. Fasten your seatbelt, depending on what kind of money you got under your belt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.